are doing a little series over the holidays that we've entitled Christmas Songs. And the idea is that we're looking at popular Christmas carols through the lens of Scripture. And thus far, we've considered Joy to the World, which, of course, was about joy. We looked at Old Little Town of Bethlehem, which is about peace. We looked at O Come All Ye Faithful, and we talked about generosity. And this week, we're talking about Silent Night. And the critical component there is light. Now, I don't know if you've noticed like me, but every year, the Christmas season takes place in a time of change. There's a lot going on during the Christmas season. Like how many people this last week enjoyed scraping your windshields with the ice? It was fun, wasn't it? That's always happens around Christmas time. And I don't know if you're like me, but I've got a lot of trees in my yard, so I'm raking leaves now around Christmas time. Praise the Lord. That's a lot of fun. But I think probably the most significant marker of the Christmas season is lights. We see them on houses. We see them on trees. They're in the entryways of all the housing additions. There's lights everywhere. And you might think, well, what does light have to do with Christmas? It's a great question. But let me, let me mention, I think that the way that Jesus chose to come to the world was very strange. In other words, this is literally divinity becoming human. John, the apostle, said it this way. John 1.14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Now, have you thought about that? Jesus could have come to earth as a human in any way he chose, any way he wanted. And he chose to... To not just be an infant, but think about this. Jesus chose to be a fetus, completely vulnerable. And the vehicle that Jesus chose was an uneducated, poor Galilean teenager. The way he chose to come. And, and the strangest Jesus' advent was, the way God chose to announce the birth of Jesus was also very strange. I think the most people probably would not notice another baby being born. So I'm wondering, is this why Jesus came to the earth in the way that he did? He was, his parents were peasants. They were nobodies. He was born, born far from home, which means there were no grandparents around to fuss over him and take pictures. He was born at night. Everybody was sleeping. 1,500 years before the invention of the printing press and 2,000 years before the invention of the Internet. So would anybody even notice when Jesus showed up? Well, the key in this story is light. The Bible tells us that a group of shepherds were the first to hear about the birth of Christ. And, and when angels showed up, there was an explosion of bright light. Luke 2 says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then when the shepherds went and discovered the Messiah, the baby Jesus, they were the first evangelists. Luke 2.17 says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said about this child. Now this is massive news. The greatest news ever of all time. John said it this way. The word gave life to everyone that was created and his life brought light to everyone. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. 
All right, now I want to take you over to the Old Testament to Isaiah. This is a great application for us. Jesus came into the world steeped in darkness. But 700 years before Jesus came, Israel was in a mess. They were apostate. In other words, they had renounced their faith. And in their pain and in their lostness, they blamed God for the trouble they were in. This is Isaiah chapter 8. And Isaiah the prophet is preaching to the people of Israel when he says, Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They'll go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they're hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They'll be thrown out into the darkness. Now, I know that Isaiah is talking about ancient Israel, but he could certainly be talking about 21st century America too when he says trouble and anguish and dark despair are everywhere we look. Now, I know that the holidays are especially difficult for some people. I know some of you are struggling with depression and anxiety. I know some of you have walked through the tragedy of divorce. I know some of you are personally experienced with addiction, either from yourself or with someone in the family. And many of you will gather around the dinner table today and there'll be a spot missing where just last year you had a loved one. And, and God is saying in that darkness, he sent light. And, and the prophet Isaiah applies it to us as well. This is chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a light, I'm sorry, a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Now think about this with me. This prophecy is given 700 years before Jesus comes, and Isaiah talks about Galilee. Nobody had ever heard of Galilee. In fact, in the scripture, he has to give a Google Maps GPS direction for how to find it because nobody knew. Galilee was a place for pagans. It was a non-Jewish place. It was a little provincial village. Why would God ever honor a place like Galilee of the Gentiles? And Isaiah even says to Israel, though you fail to recognize it, you're the ones in deep darkness. But God had plans to remedy this. This is in verse 2, Isaiah 9, 1. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of darkness, a light will shine. Such great news. But here's the issue. It's pretty easy for us to recognize darkness out there. It's hard for us to recognize darkness in here. It's easy to see sin when it's in the culture. It's hard to see sin when it's in our hearts. And for Israel, in their pain and confusion, blaming God, they were consulting mediums and astrologers. And God says, why would you try to talk to dead people when I'm right here? And we're the same way in our confusion, in our darkness, in our pain, in our questions. We'll look for anything to fill the void. It might be career, it might be hobbies, it might be family, it might be adventures, it might be amusements. And here's the paradox of Christmas. God hates our darkness, but he refuses to keep his distance. 
He sees our frailty and our humanness and our brokenness, and he refuses to leave us there. This is Isaiah 9, 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Stop just a second. I was looking at commentaries this week trying to get the real meaning of this, and I saw a really interesting perspective. One guy said, if you think about it, Isaiah is describing a two-part miracle because a child is born to us required human agency. God chose this Galilean teenage peasant girl to, to wrap himself in flesh. He needed a virgin, and so God chose a, a created being that he created to bring creation for us into. So a child is born means that a human was required, but a son is given means that divine is also required. God had to have a son who qualified to be our sacrifice. And then God had to be able to, or willing to send his son to be a sacrifice for us. This is what Isaiah says. A child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, Randy Harris, come help me, please. We're going to light these candles that you have. And I want to make a point here. Let me light a couple here right up front. And I want you just to pass these around. Oops, help me, Randy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, let's give this another shot. There you go, just pass that that way. Thank you. Let me tell you another story. I was about seven or eight years old. My family on vacation visited Carlsbad Caverns. Anybody ever been there? Carlsbad Caverns? <clears throat> I think I've got a picture. It was an experience that I remember because it was a long walk. Leave that on, Kyle, right? That's good. We, we made our way down as a family, and we got down to the very bottom about almost a thousand feet underground. And we got to a place that they called the Hall of Giants. This big massive room that was like three quarters of a mile long. And you could put a 20 story building inside. I have a picture of it, this hall. And of course it's all lit, brightly lit by electric light, artificial light. But when we got down to the bottom, the guide who was a, who was a park ranger Warned everybody. And as a seven-year-old boy, I really appreciated it because he said, I'm going to turn the lights off and it's going to be very dark in here. So they turned the lights off and, and I was utterly alone. 
I mean, it, it's, it was darkness that was completely tangible. And this ranger, after a few moments, flicked his bick and had a lighter that had a little flame that looked just about like the one you're holding right now. And in this massive space, they say you could put six football fields in there, that little tiny light was visible from everywhere. And here's the point. No matter how oppressive the darkness in your life might be, the smallest light will drive it away. Darkness cannot stay. Now, we live in a culture that's steeped in darkness. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. And you need to know that your neighbors and your co-workers and maybe your family members are steeped in darkness. But here's the news of Christmas. Jesus loves them. And he has a plan to redeem them. And that plan is for us to take the light that we've been given and share that. I so love the um, Facebook post that Christina put on Facebook this week on our church Facebook page that says people must know. Yes, they must. It's our mandate, but how? How will they know? Only when we share our light. Because the truth is, judgmental Christians who wag their fingers in the, in the faces of sinful people won't attract people to Jesus. And sermons, no matter how dynamic, are not going to attract people to Jesus. It didn't happen in Isaiah's day. It's not happening in our day. What then? Only when people who have seen a great light pass on that great light. And that's our mandate.